0: I'll never play, and now everybody I know has it out It's No
1: Secret. Welcome to It's No Secret, an oral history of the acoustic pop trio Twang Twang Shaka Boom. I'm Catherine Cuellar. In 1989, David Garza, Jeff Haley, and Chris Searles took the sleepy blues hamlet of Austin by storm for a brief 13 months. In our debut, they recall how they met as teenagers through music education and reflect on Texas's music scene.
0: What's interesting is the idea of 30 years of anything.
1: David Garza, Twang Twang Chaka Boom's lead singer and songwriter.
0: Like 30 years. You've grown up together. We truly have. And I so remember, and there are not many people. I mean, how many people do you remember the first time that you met them? And it was over, and it was 30 years ago. Yeah, I, I have
1: two.
2: How did you meet David Garza? You want me to tell the whole story? I love
1: your stories. Chris Searles, Twang Twang Shaka Booms Percussionist.
2: What I remember is June, my junior year, your senior year of high school, we both wanted to be an Allstate jazz band really badly. <laughs> and um, we had a band called uh, Walt that played famous songs uh, written by you, such as Covert Operation. <laughs> and um, I ended up in Allstate Orchestra that whole event was like a two and a half day intensive and then you do the concert and the the jazz band was the first thing of the day and this was the year that Roy Hargrove was a breakout star
0: so 1987 Roy Hargrove Chris Dave Matt Chamberlain Earl Harvin Mike Dillon like real real deep deep mythic dudes were in my world. So my I was already in outer space as a kid.
2: Went to see the jazz band and there was this kid that, he did look a little like Richie Valance. He kind of had this slick, slick back hair. And he was playing a, a Les Paul. It had the kind of the vibe and his, you know, he had some of the flamenco-esque uh, strumming stuff of like what you saw in the movie. The Richie Ballins movie and the little curl a little bit over his eye, kind of. And um, anyway, so there's this kid playing guitar. And basically, in that jazz band that year, there were two crazy good musicians. One of them was Roy Hargrove, that everyone is crazy about. Roy got a record deal that summer, I think, um, and became a, a young prodigy star internationally within about a year of that day. But the other was this kid playing guitar that was having the time of his life and was the only person on stage that seemed to be able to play anything, anytime. He was comping chords like you're supposed to do, but he would also be kind of singing the third trombone part <laughs> while, while playing guitar and then looking over the piano player and going, yeah, man, you know. And then his legs would splay out with his, his cool uh, shoes and, and um, he'd look over at the drummer and be like, you know, come on, brother. And... Um, it just, he was just having fun, like no other student, you know, at that time. And I was so pissed off. I couldn't believe that there was somebody that good. and He, he seemed to be kind of, to me at the time, like a show-off.
0: 1986-87, <laughs> I'll never forget watching... So there was a place called Dave's Art and Pawn Shop. And it would be open 24 hours a day. And I swear, and there are postcards that will back me up on this, they would book the bands Would be like... 10 to 12, 10 hands. 12 to 2 a.m., Fever in the Funk House. 2 to 4 a.m., The Grape Nuts. And The Grape Nuts was me, Matt Chamberlain, and whoever we wanted to like find it from 2 to 4. We would play for two two hours at, from 2 to 4 in the morning at a place that was a non-alcoholic place. It was the first time I ever had espresso. She says, yeah. So it was just like, and then from 4 to 6, there was another band. Until the sun came up, and this was like a normal like, okay, uh, uh, occurrence, you know. So, it's, can you imagine that now? And your parents trusting you and knowing that you were in good hands because that there were other because there was no alcohol. It was just a different time.
2: And so, after that concert, what sealed the deal was in terms of me not liking that kid was uh he was running around afterwards and he had two girls with him. Oh, <laughs> Both of them very good looking. And um, <laughs> and they were obviously super comfortable with him and and they just sort of went past me real fast in the hallway in a whoosh. They were like and viola players or something like that? No, they were just friends that had come down to see him play from wherever he was from. You know? Really? Yeah. Oh, and um, <laughs> there's just seventeen year old people who can drive down to San Antonio, Texas on a whim. Yeah. Just make a little three or four hour drive. And I mean, I don't know. I don't, i never asked them about that, but maybe they were in the choir or something, but um, I didn't see them in any of the other stuff that I saw. And I remember telling you that there's this really, you know, annoying dude who didn't really respect jazz. Cause you and I were serious. Uh, wannabe want to be jazz musicians, yeah. especially, especially me. Yeah. and, I couldn't get into the, the group, and then he made it look so easy, and it wasn't for me, and then he was super good at it and cool and having fun, and those were three things that I didn't, I hadn't experienced yet. <laughs> <laughs> and then he had girls with him, you know, it was like, what? And there were two of them, not just one, you know, and we were introverted, uh, serious young musicians, and, and so that was the first impression.
0: In these dumb jazz state competition things that I, I couldn't read music, but I could play, so I got into all these little competitions, and I got to meet all these dudes. And th- but then, and that's where I met Chris. And so, when you, when you and, and then you think, oh wow, I'm in Austin and I'm listening to these guys play, and it, it wasn't just me. Oh, I'm listening to Talking Heads or, or Simple Minds. I'm listening to Earl and Matt. And then and I'm judging Chris on that, on those guys. I'm going, this guy's just as good as those guys. How come he's second drummer? So you, you, you get a little bit of the taste of like the little upper crust or whatever.
2: I met him, you know, within about another four or five months of that day. We were the two students that were chosen for scholarships to UT because we were the only two musicians for that. And I remember calling you from the payphone in the music building going you're <laughs> never gonna believe who's here <laughs> <laughs> It's that kid I told you about you know, it's that guy that played guitar all-state jazz and you know he, He's here like he's the other person here. I can't believe it and just you know being real crappy about that and then 15 I 100% minutes, forgot about that and then I met him about 15 minutes later and I mean within Minutes, seconds, it's like, well, this is my friend, David. See, it's crazy. I mean,
0: I, I, so for me to luck out by meeting the two people in Texas as a high schooler, the two funkiest, these guys, and I happen to meet them when I met them. And it's just amazing.
2: You hadn't met him yet, really. During the summertime, he did come over to my house and Andy Nichols was there, too, and we played. We had one of the worst funk bands in the history of Austin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Well, anyway, we were we were still you know pretty awkward players and and trying to play you know Prince songs and David came to that gig, which was in your living room, and danced his butt off that night, <laughs> and just had the best time. Didn't try to get on stage and or, you know get and play with the band, just was having the best time with all these people there. He didn't know anybody. You know, and he got the party started, and he could do that. If I was going to be
0: in a band, it had to be somebody with people that good. And I didn't know at the time that I would ever meet people that were that good that weren't in Dallas because I was a snob.
2: <laughs> David is, uh, his, his heart is so full of music. Blowing my
0: fires all
2: and he had such a deep background in all the things that we've learned since then but mexican folk music and uh, classical guitar two of the most beautiful things in the world and he was so full of that and and then all these other things um that we became really good friends right away and you know i realized i was completely i judged wrongly and uh, stopped judging people, relatively speaking, after that, probably, because of that turnaround experience, meeting David. And and then um, we were such good friends. We were talking on the phone because we were just huge music fans, um, all generated by him. You know, he really was always a band leader and went to visit him, I think, Christmas break of our senior year. <clears throat> and... Stayed at his house for a couple of nights, I think, which also was just totally crazy and weird. Like, you know, we were high school kids and I went up to Irving, stayed with his family for a couple of days because he invited me up there. When I went to visit him that Christmas, he had so much amazing music playing. It wasn't classical music. It would be like Stevie Wonder and Sade and on and on. Patsy Cline, tons of Patsy Cline. And meanwhile, he's telling me he's a huge U2 fan and, and talk, the Talking Heads were the best band of all time. And, and really, the only other student musicians I knew were you and Will Taylor um, that were serious about it. And you and I were just trying to figure out how to play our scales in a way, still, you know, how to improvise and things like that. Yeah, true. Suddenly, like, oh my God, you know, the, um, there's a an ocean of music here. And this person is comfortable with all of it. And so we were talking about Bach and Rodrigo and David Byrne and Stevie Ray Vaughan and um, Jimi Hendrix and Pat Metheny and uh, all of these things that were a part of our lives. And you know, you in particular, Jeff, have always typified to me like the biggest music fan in the world where you've always integrated everything. It's all beautiful music. But at that time in, in 1988, things were still kind of segregated in every regard in our, our culture. There was still a a sense of, you can't like classical music and the talking heads, you know, you can't can't listen to the cure and want to play, um, Thelonious Monk. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you guys both were like, well, to hell with that. You know, you were, you were very, very, you completely embraced things you loved and it just, it floored me, you know, I may tear up here in a second.
0: But it's really hard for bands to to float, and that's definitely something that that I think we do really well because we because the the basic unit of our architecture is the son montuno. It's the dotted dotted quarter, which floats inherently. It's not dun 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 dun. You know, it's not a click track. It's not a click track, and it's it's something that that is a it's like a gallop of a horse, so it's not gonna. It's designed to not be a machine. How music has changed fundamentally from 30 years ago is the commodification and the quantification mm-hmm. of time, which is the most precious thing we have. We've been turned into little robot TikToks instead of like the flowy, groovy, hippy dippy.
2: So that's how I met David, was through this this process of at first being super jealous, and um, and then being completely uh, kind of invited and welcomed by him as a friend, and then realizing that his his musicality was unlike anything I had ever known. And certainly now, 31 and a half years later, realizing, you know, or ever will know. Um, so yeah, that's how I met David.
1: Biointegrity offers an effective way to help solve the world's most pressing environmental challenge, climate change. It's accessible, affordable, and actionable, and it starts with preserving and restoring Earth's most biodiverse ecosystem, the Amazon. Learn why the Amazon is on fire and how you can help. More information is at Biointegrity.net. To hear more episodes in the coming months, including a special 30th anniversary announcement, Please follow Twang Twang on SoundCloud, like Twang on Facebook, and follow Twang Twang Shock on Twitter. The It's No Secret podcast is produced and edited by Jeff Haley and me, Catherine Quayar. Thanks for listening, y'all.